If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I believe it's on page 859 of the Pew Bible provided there for you. So hopefully you can quickly and easily find it in the hard copy Bible or device that you've got this morning. By the way, uh, just as a quick uh, update, we, are, we had our middle school ministry, went to summer camp this past week, and uh, they got home safely, praise the Lord. They got home yesterday afternoon, and they all seemed pretty wiped out, tired. <laughs> My son was wiped out, and I think that's good. I think that means they had a great time. And uh, from what I understand, during the week, there were two students that put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Yeah, praise be to God. And, and I think uh, 17 of them also, uh, various sins, they just repented of sin and, and confessed allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ once again. And that's just awesome. Awesome to hear about. So we give all praise and thanks to God. And we want to thank you as well, Valley Bible Church. I know many of you have been donating to the various fundraisers that they've been doing all season. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, treasure in heaven. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. We're going to continue in our series, Triumphing in Troubled Times, this morning. We've been walking through the, the letter of 1 Peter uh, for several months now. Pastor Phil, Lord willing, be back in the pulpit next week, and we'll finish up this series here uh, in, in July. But we've been talking about triumphing in troubled times. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And this morning's sermon is titled, The Paradox of Christian Suffering. The Paradox of Christian Suffering. Now, suffering as a subject by itself is humongous. Why do we suffer? What's the source of suffering, the purpose of suffering? It's a much bigger topic than can be discussed here in one sermon on a Sunday morning. But we're not talking about suffering just in general. We're talking about Christian suffering. And what I mean by that is, not, is the kind of suffering that is experienced because one claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So it's the type of suffering that results because of naming the name of Jesus Christ. And so opponents of Christians put other Christians, put Christians under suffering and persecution because of that. And so we're going to talk about the paradox of Christian suffering. And I, I was thinking about paradox. You may not, I think most of you have heard the term before. Paradox, it's a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Maybe balancing your checkbook seems like a paradox. Uh, paradox. It, you look at it, and it doesn't seem to make sense, but as you investigate for a while, you realize there's some truth to that. One of the great illustrations of a paradox, and I don't think I fully understand it, is if you want to imagine you've got a, a postcard, right? It's got two statements, one on one side and one on the other. And you look at statement A on the first side, and statement A says... The statement on the other side of this card is true. You flip over the card and statement B says, the statement on the other side of this card is false. And you look back, the statement on the other side of this card is true. And you're trying to figure out, well, is it false or true? Because they both can't be right. And so you're in this endless cycle of looking back and forth. Is it true or is it false? And I'm confusing myself even trying to explain it to you this morning. But a paradox, a paradox, you don't, you don't quite understand it. And we're, we're coming to a new section here, and Peter's about ready to close up his letter. And we've been talking about, we've been talking about the glorious salvation 
that we have as a church through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That even though we go through troubled times, there is triumph in Jesus. And, and Pastor Phil, uh, he, he started the, the, the section that we just finished by, by, by sharing with us that the gospel is not just to be spoken. The good news about what Jesus Christ has done for us isn't just spoken, it's also lived out. And he calls it gospel show and tell. And we've been looking at this, this gospel show and tell. How do we live out the implications of the gospel in all kinds of sphere of life? We're talking about how do I live that out uh, before the institutions that are over me? How do I work that out in my workplace? How do I live that out even in my marriage and in my home? So we've been talking about all these different ways that the gospel is to be spoken and lived out, gospel show and tell. And so Peter has kind of wrapped that up. We saw that last week when Pastor Larry helped us see all of these different commands that's given to the church to... Uh, to, to be sober-minded and to be alert and to love one another and to serve one another. And now we come to this transition, and he now starts this new section by saying, Beloved, I want you to know something. I want you to understand something about this, this thing that you're going through that's called suffering. Now, we understand that suffering was happening in, in different eruptions all over the Roman Empire. It's not like it was widespread yet. It would be soon, but it was erupting in just different places where different groups, they didn't like Christians, they didn't like the way they lived, they didn't like what they had to say, and so there would be persecution, there would be backlash, there would be mocking, and there would be suffering that would be experienced by the church. And, and, and this paradox is this. Here's the paradox. On one side of the card I read, I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right. a holy nation. I'm called God's special people through Jesus Christ. I like that side of the card. I flip it over, though, and here's the other side. Here's the paradox. It says this. As God's people, you will suffer. Right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I thought I was God's chosen people. Well, you are. Flip it over. You're going to suffer. So Peter is trying to help his audience, these group of churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, understand how do I live according to this paradox that I'm A, one of God's chosen people, and B, I'm going to suffer for his name. How do those two go together? Well, before we look at the text, would, would you bow with me in prayer that God would illuminate our hearts and minds to understand what he wants us to see today. Father in heaven, I thank you that there is no paradox that you live in. <laughs> There's no, nothing that's outside of, of your understanding. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. We bow the knee to you today. You are a true and wise God. And we believe that you want us to understand what the scriptures have to say today. Would you please open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law? And Father, I would ask this too. If there's anybody sitting here this morning or watching online that they can't really truly sing, sing the song that we just said, that it's well with their soul, would you draw them today? Draw them today by the truth, by the power of the Spirit, that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved and washed of all their sins. We thank you that you're still doing that work today. But now, Father, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19 say this. Follow along as I read aloud. Dear friends, do not be surprised 
at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and to continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Again, the paradox of Christian suffering is this. If we're really God's chosen people, saved by His grace, with a great hope for the future, then why in the world do Christians suffer? Why are they persecuted? Well, I would say to you today, I think Peter is helping us understand this, that although it seems strange and uncomfortable to us, Christian suffering is the path God has designed to bring His people to glory. The paradox is this. Although it seems strange and uncomfortable to us, Christian suffering is the path God has designed to bring His people to glory. Let's take a look at these paradoxes, wouldn't we? Paradox number one. We find that in chapter 4, verse 12. I'll read it again. Dear friends or beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't get caught off guard. Paradox number one, if you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer. If you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer. Now, Peter says, I I don't want you to be surprised about this fiery ordeal. Why does he bring fire into this? Is there something going on where Christians are actually uh, being put in the fire? We know that God's people uh, back in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. We know according to church tradition, there were many who were followers of Jesus, Christians, that were burned at the stake. Is that what's happening to God's people here? Is that what Peter's referring to? Well, I don't think so. There isn't any any evidence in this part of church history that there was actually burnings taking place. So then what is Peter talking about? What's this fiery ordeal? Well, we heard about this all the way back in the the very first sermon that we actually looked at in uh, 1 Peter. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 6, just a few turns of your pages of your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, and Peter's describing a great salvation. And in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice. We've got a great salvation. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These, the trials, have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed 
Ah, there we get the key. This is why Peter's describing it as a fiery ordeal. He's not talking about a specific kind of suffering through fire. He's talking about the suffering itself being a type of fire that God uses. He turns up the heat to test the sincerity, to test the authenticity, to test the purity of our faith. The fiery ordeal. He says, don't be surprised. This is God's way of testing the sincerity of your devotion to follow Jesus. If you're hanging out with Jesus, friends, don't be surprised when you suffer. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse uh, 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you would, uh, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, if you want to hang out with me, you've got to understand something. Suffering comes with the territory. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that path. I like the path that says, Jesus, sign me up for heaven. Sign me up for eternal life. Sign me up for forgiveness of sins. Sign me up for teaching me how I can live this life in a better way, with a better marriage, and being able to be a better father and employee. But if you're talking about suffering... Can we kind of leave that out of the contract a little bit? If you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. A servant, you and me, is not greater than his master. If they hate the master, they'll hate the servants. If you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer. This is a verse that's haunted me before. 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul writes, In fact, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It comes with the territory, friends. You hang out with Jesus... Don't be surprised that you're suffering. It's God's refining fire. It's, it's actually the way that he purifies us. I wish there were another way, to be honest with you, but there isn't. And thankfully, I'm not right. God's right. I'll trust his ways. But don't be surprised when you suffer if you're hanging out with Jesus. So what's the response then to this paradox? If I hang out with Jesus, by the way, think about Jesus, hanging out with Jesus. Think about Peter. What did he see? He saw Jesus do some amazing stuff. Take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and he turns it into a feast for thousands of people. He, he's on a boat and, and the storm's rocking and the, and the boat's rocking and the storm's big and the waves and the wind. And he comes out and says, peace, be still. He, he's going along in, in, in Bethany, and all of a sudden, there's their friend Lazarus, and he's dead. Everybody's crying, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out, and he's alive again. Yeah, I like hanging out with you, Jesus. Let, take me, let's go. He says, you will, and you've seen me do amazing things, but I, you haven't seen the most amazing thing yet. I'm going to get to glory by the path of suffering, and if you're going to hang out with me, you're going to have to follow me there too. If you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer. So what's the right response to this first paradox? 
Well, the first response, response number one is this. Rejoice. Rejoice. 1 Peter 4.13, back in our text, it says, But it, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Wait a minute. Participate in His sufferings? That's amazing. I actually participate in the sufferings of Christ? Listen to how Christ suffered. 1 Peter 3.18, just a page turned back, it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins... The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. So by participating in Christ's suffering, does that mean that I'm doing the same thing? Am I actually providing atonement for someone else? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ was unique. He paid the sacrifice for sins that we could never pay to bring us to God. Friend, have you been brought to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Have, have you embraced the suffering Savior who's been risen and glorified? He wants to bring you to God. All you need to do is put your faith in Him. But we don't suffer that way. Those who are followers of Jesus, we don't do that. We don't suffer that way. We suffer in a different kind of way. You see, we see our Savior, and, and, and you see, the suffering wasn't the end of the journey. It was a stop along the way, friends. It was the path that he took to glory. He was actually enthroned right there on the cross as he said, it is finished. He gave up his spirit and he came back alive on Easter morning and said, I've won the victory. I've brought the triumph here. And he's going to come back and he's going to bring triumph for all of us. But we participate in his sufferings. We're actually linked to him through this baptism into his death and into his resurrection so that we say, I, my old man who loved to sin, I died with Christ and I've been raised to new life with him. Therefore, the path that brought him to glory is the same path that will bring me to glory. And I would say I will gladly rejoice in participating in his sufferings if it will bring me to glory. Now, we're not saved by anything else but faith alone in Jesus Christ. But that kind of faith is a faith that says, I will participate with my Savior on the path to glory, even through suffering. Rejoice. Rejoice. In Philippians 3.10, Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection. I like that a lot. And participation in His sufferings. Whew. Becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Folks, there is no other path to glory and participating with Jesus unless you say, I'm willing to participate in his sufferings. If you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer, but rejoice. From that same uh, letter in Philippians, Philippians 4, 4, Paul, who's actually uh, uh, been arrested and imprisoned uh, for, for the faith of Christ, he's in a Roman prison and he, and he says, woe is me. No, he doesn't say that. He says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice, rejoice. in the Lord most of the time. Rejoice in the Lord when you get a big fat tax return from the IRS. Rejoice in the Lord when your favorite team wins a championship. Rejoice in the Lord always, even from prison. I rejoice in the Lord. Even when I'm suffering, I rejoice in the Lord. It's the path that we have to glory because I participate in Jesus Christ. And he says, I will say it again. If you didn't hear me the first time, do you hear me now? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 
the paradox of Christian suffering. The first paradox is that if you're hanging out with Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer. And that response, rejoice. Rejoice. You are linked to Jesus. And you are on the same path to glory as he was. Paradox number two, chapter 4, verse 14 of 1 Peter back in our text. Peter writes, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. Let me read that again. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. That seems odd. Insult, mockery, making fun of. You see, Christian at this time, there's only the, the, the word Christian only shows up three times in, in all the Bible, in the New Testament, twice in Acts and once here, and we'll read it in just a few moments. Christian, Christian. See, we, we're not afraid too much in our country, except maybe when we're in the workplace or we're with an unsaved neighbor. That's convicting. We're not afraid to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But see, back at, at this time, Christian was the term that the world had for those Jesus followers, those people of the way, those believers, those radical people that live weird, that talk weird, that do weird stuff. They don't live like us. We love to party. We love to have debauched parties and, and go wild It's because it's fun, right? But these people, they live nobly. They live uprightly. They actually submit to authority rather than uh, rebel against it. They actually, their husbands treat their wives good and the wives treat the. These are weird people. The husbands aren't cheating on their wives. What's going on here? Those weird Christians. And that's the way the term was used. And so they were insulted. But Peter says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ... You're blessed. Paradox number two, being mocked. Being mocked as a Christian is a sign of God's blessing. Is a sign of God's blessing. There was one time I was on the job and I think I had a break and somebody else in the office had a break at the same time. And so we were just talking a little bit and she knew I went to church. She goes, so what's the big deal? It sounds like you're really committed to going to church and all that stuff. What's the real big deal? And I'm like, well, Jesus is the really big deal, right? I mean, it's like, it's not about going to church. I mean, I like everybody there, but really Jesus is the main attraction. And well, what about him? Well, I said, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. I, he came and he died in my place to take the punishment for sins that I could never pay. And he gave to me a righteous standing and acceptance before God that I could ever earn simply by putting my faith and trust in him. And I know that I have eternal life. It's that simple. She looked at me, she goes, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I felt, boy, that, that really feels like a blessing she just gave me right there, right? She goes, you, you went to college and all that to learn that stuff? I said, yeah, it's the truth. But she, you know, she thought, that's, that's crazy. Maybe you've heard worse from a coworker, from a neighbor, from a family member. Maybe you've been insulted for being a Christian Maybe you've been mocked. Paradox 2, being mocked as a Christian is a sign of God's blessing. Why? Why? It says in verse 14, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And does it say it will rest on you, but you can know in that moment when you're being insulted for the name that the spirit of God rests on you. Upon you. It's proof positive to say, you're willing to go through that for my name. I know the Spirit's in you. Where is he getting this from? Why is he even bringing this up? Way back in Isaiah. Isaiah, the great prophet. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Now see, Isaiah is promising a Messiah that's going to come. 
He says this Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the king that Israel's been waiting for. He's going to be the crusher of the head of that old serpent Satan that humanity's been waiting for ever since the beginning of time. This Messiah is coming. He's coming. And how does Isaiah describe him? Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 says, a shoot or a little seedling or a, a branch or a root will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is, is King David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit is going to rest on Messiah. And Peter is drawing back to that and saying, not just Messiah, but if you're insulted for Messiah's name, for the name of Jesus, you are blessed because that same spirit rests on you. The Messiah himself, Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, Matthew 5, 11 to 12 says, blessed are you, my friends, when people insult you. When they persecute you. When they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Not arbitrarily, but because of me. Because of Christ. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, the spirit that came upon Messiah is the same spirit that says, if you're willing to be insulted for the name, know that the spirit of God rests upon you. See, that insult is actually a blessing, is it not? Are we going to listen to the opinions of men or do we want to listen to the opinions of our creator and savior God? Oh, I want to hear that. I want to hear, Matthew, you're blessed if you're willing to be insulted for the name. The spirit of God rests upon you. Christians may be reproached, mocked, humiliated, insulted by human beings, but nothing can take away the blessing of God. Paradox number two, being mocked as a Christian is a sign of God's blessing. So what's our response then? What's our response to this paradox that insult actually equals blessing? Well, we find it in verse 16 of 1 Peter 4. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Response number two, don't be ashamed of Jesus, praise him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, praise him. There's a great story in Acts chapter five. I don't have time to read the entire thing, but the apostles were doing some amazing stuff. Uh, early on in the early church, I mean, they were preaching the gospel. The spirit had come down. People were being saved. They were repenting of sins, being baptized. The church just, it seemed like with the snap of a fingers, had 3,000 people added to them there in Jerusalem. And the apostles, I mean, God's power was just flowing through them. It was all to him, not them. It was all God. But I mean, it was so powerful that even Peter would walk by along the street and someone that was sick, sick if, the, uh, if the, the shadow of his robe like passed over them, they'd be healed. I mean, this is amazing, powerful manifestations uh, of, of the Spirit of God here through the apostles. And so the, the leaders of the Jewish uh, religion, they didn't like it because they said, okay, we're losing a lot of our followers and we can never manifest that kind of power. So they throw them in jail. God miraculously delivers them out and they think, okay, they're going to stop preaching now. Guess what? They went back to preaching. They went back to doing what God wanted them to do. 
And so they bring them in again, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders. And in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27, it says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man being Jesus, Jesus' blood. Peter, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now, I don't think they shook their fist at them. They just, hey, this is, this is the command that we were given by our God. We must obey God rather than human beings. Goes on to say later on in the chapter, the Sanhedrin, they flogged them or whipped them. Then they ordered them, stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Maybe this will finally shut him up. <laughs> Listen to the what the apostles did. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Woe is me. No, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, there's nothing Nothing, no insult, no suffering, no persecution, no sword, no death, no fire, nothing that could separate us from the blessing of God. Therefore, there should be nothing, no sword, no persecution, no insult that should ever separate us from the praise of our God. We praise Him. We praise Him. The paradox is that, that, that being mocked as a Christian is a sign of God's blessing. Therefore, don't be ashamed. Praise Him. Praise him. Thank you, God, that I'm worthy to bear your name. Think about Peter. He knew he had blown it. He knew that he had denied Jesus three times. And now here he is saying, oh, thank you that I had another chance. Thank you that I had another chance. I know that the Spirit of God rests upon me. Jesus, you thought me worthy to bear your name. I'll never stop praising you. And yet we're sometimes not even willing to open our mouth to a coworker. We're not even willing to open our mouth to a neighbor, to a family or a parent on one of our kids' sports teams. We keep our mouths shut. Even if we're mocked, it's a sign of God's blessing. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Praise Him. Paradox number three, and I must move quickly. Paradox number three, suffering is difficult now. Suffering is difficult now, but through it, God is saving us from punishment later. Amen. Look at chapter 4, verses 17 to 18 of 1 Peter. For it's time for judgment. Judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's a strange term. We don't talk about that. That judgment begins with God's household. If you don't understand what that means, it means God's family. It means, we saw in chapter 2, that we, the church, though Jew and Gentile who belong to Jesus Christ, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's household, just as Israel was God's household in the Old Testament. We are God's household, His temple now. And He says judgment begins here. Judgment. Judgment? Really? Now, before we start thinking to ourselves, wait a minute, I thought I was delivered from judgment. Yes, but we mustn't confuse judgment with punishment. There's a difference between judgment and 
and punishment or judgment and condemnation. You think about what the verdict of a, uh, of a jury, they give either a verdict of guilty or innocent, don't they? But it's the judge is the one who gives the consequence, who gives the punishment, who gives the sentence. And what Peter is saying is that judgment begins with God's household. Thank God that it's happening now and not in the future. Because the only kind of judgment at the great white throne judgment in the future is a judgment of either you're going to enter into my eternal kingdom or you're going to an eternal state of punishment and fire. But we escape that judgment, friends, now because the judgment of God is happening now. Where does that judgment come from? It comes from that fire. That fiery ordeal. He turns up the fire of suffering. He turns up the fire of testing. And we get to be judged. Is it a real faith? Is it an authentic faith? Is it a sincere faith and devotion to Jesus Christ? Or is it just a charade? Friends, some of you, God may turn up the fire in your life. Do you have a sincere faith? Maybe you've been playing the game for for weeks, even months, even years. But today, God says, judgment's starting here. Put your faith sincerely in my son, Jesus Christ. He'll save you today. And you can escape the punishment of the future. But suffering's difficult now. But through it, God is saving us from punishment later. Jesus said in John 16, 32 to 33, a time is coming and in fact has now come when you will be scattered. He was about to be arrested and he knew his disciples would be scattered. Each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my father's with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, friends. There is no fear of punishment for those who are sincerely His. Judgment is starting today through suffering when He turns up the heat, but all it does is it reveals the genuineness, the authenticity of our faith, and it gives us more hope because we know that our God, our Savior, our Jesus has overcome the world. Listen to what Paul says to several churches. He he was traveling around in Acts 14, 22, and, and he was traveling around strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is what Paul said to the churches. He said, we must go through, through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You can't skirt around it, friend. You can't avoid this path. There is no other path to enter the kingdom of God because you must be joined to Jesus. You must be willing to say, Jesus, you are so wonderful. I want nothing else in this world. I want you to lead me to that path of eternal life and glory, even if it means that I have to follow you along that path of suffering. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through uh, 10, I believe, uh, says this, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. Paul's writing to the, the church at Thessalonica. I always to thank God for you. And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of all you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God 
for which you're suffering. Oh, friend, I want to be counted worthy. I know that I can never earn it on my own, but by participating with Jesus, I want to know that I'm truly joined to him. And the only way the sincerity of that faith can be verified is through suffering, through fire, through that fiery ordeal when he turns the heat up. Suffering may be difficult now, but by participating in the pain of following Christ, believers escape the condemnation coming upon the wicked. Now it says here that, that judgment begins with God's household. And I'm going to invite a friend up here in just a moment, Pastor Fernando Alconga. You could actually start coming up, Pastor. And I think that sometimes we may feel like, well, I have little bits of suffering here and there in the West, in the United States, but, but sometimes we forget about our household, our family that's living all over the world. And response number three, if you're wondering, <laughs> to the paradox number three is this. It all comes down to this. We're called to trust and obey God to the very end. It's all that, trusting and obeying. It's the theme of God's people all throughout the scriptures. Verse 19 of 1 Peter 4 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Will you be counted worthy? Are you willing to participate, not just in the glory that Jesus has for you, not just in the triumph, but the pathway to get there by following and participating with him in suffering? And I brought my friend, uh, Pastor Fernando, up here, and he and I were meeting a little bit, and I got to know Pastor Fernando a couple of years ago as he was applying to, to volunteer in our children's ministry when I was directing children's ministry. And I came across his application. There's a section there that says, have you ever been arrested for anything, right? We just kind of want to follow up with that, right? And so he checked Mark, yes. I thought, what? And as I looked at the explanation, my heart was so convicted. And I realized, I think this man should be interviewing me, and not the other way around. And so to quickly just give you a summary of what Pastor Fernando's been through, he, uh, he was sent by a missionary organization in the Philippines, yes. and, and he was sent to uh, the United Arab, Arab Emirates in the Middle East, a, a yes, Muslim country. And so you were there for 11 years, is that correct, Pastor? Yeah. Completed the 12. Uh, after oh, 12 years. But after, oh, got you. So after 11 years of ministry where you were uh, preaching the gospel, planting house churches, uh, training pastors, and also distributing uh, evangelistic material such as Bibles in many languages, including Arabic, correct? Tracts in Arabic, and also even the Jesus film in Arabic and other languages as well. And so was that uh, against the law? <laughs> it's illegal. It's illegal. Give out. Especially in public places. It, it's illegal. And so uh, knowing that it was illegal, what was the driving force to continue the work of Jesus even though it could cost you and your family? Well, as was stated in the message, Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than man. And of course, I have to say the example because I was challenging our people mm. in the church. If we do this, I did it myself as well. All right. Wow takes a lot of faith. Now, he's going to share more. I'm just trying to summarize the story for you. So after 11 years, you said it was your birthday, and you wanted to go out and continue to do this, and you went to a local shopping center, mall area, and so he's passing these out, and the following day, what, what happened after you were passing that out? One of the persons that received the materials was an Egyptian Muslim employed by the government, and as Ramadan was a motivating factor for them to show they are doing something, they report, he reported me. Okay. 
So, uh, and I was arrested the following day. You were arrested. It was, it was dramatic because uh, I had my devotion. I slept a while because my schedule is in the evening. I would go to the eastern part, have Bible studies on the stations. I come back home at 2 o'clock. I get up at uh, 5, yeah. bring my wife and kids to So you were school. taking a little nap there. <laughs> they, they approached you, huh? And then they knock, knock. <laughs> and we want some books that you're selling. No, I'm not selling books. I'm giving them out. Mm -hmm. So you give me uh, some. I said, I'm sorry. I, uh, uh, I am not uh, able to give you today with the Arabic materials. But I have other things here. And they look at it, and then they said, can we invite you to the police headquarters? <laughs> and that means you're arrested. <laughs> it wasn't an invitation to a party then, huh? <laughs> so, Fernando, th then after that, you were uh, questioned for, what, five hours about what about, you yeah. and your activities and your organization were doing? Yeah, they call it a gentle interrogations. Gentle interrogation. <laughs> wow. And so they were asking you to renounce uh, Jesus Christ and, and your faith, correct? Yeah, and on the process, uh, in the interrogation, in the detention, uh, there were some people that were planted to talk to me and uh, show that they have a better benefits in the other side. Okay. And I said, look, uh, you saw my passport. You authorized me to come. It says, man of God or pastor and what you expect me to do. To do. Share the gospel. <laughs> so you weren't sneaking around, they just, uh, but, th but it was against the law nevertheless. Yeah. So you were in prison, or excuse me, you were in jail, in detention and in jail for a total of 40 days. Mm -hmm. So 36 days and then you were released and then four days later, is that correct? Yeah, in, in between was uh, court trials from the criminal court, court of appeal, and then Supreme Court. All right, so fill, fill us in then a little bit. Put yourself back. No, don't put yourself back. <laughs> Mentally, thinking back on what it was like to be there in detention and uh, what were some of the feelings you were experiencing as you were arrested and detained for, for following Jesus? At first, it was what I consider emotional shock. I didn't feel anything. I was not afraid. I was neither happy. But uh, after the close the gate of the cell, I realized I was inside prison and I started to be afraid. I was thinking, what will happen to me if I will eventually be in prison and that I will be killed? What will happen to my wife, Naomi, and sons, Daniel and Timothy? And the ministry, um, there are many things. And then I was imagining a uh, few nights uh, that the police officer will uh, tell me, okay, Fernandos, uh, don't worry, you're now released. Come. Uh, then they will bring me to the desert, kill me there, bury me in the sand, and then the following day, uh, they will uh, be asked by my wife, who visits me from time to time, and said, oh, we released him. Mm -hmm. That was working in my mind. And so you'd heard stories of this happening before. Uh, there have been stories of that, mm -hmm. of similar wow. things. So that, that certainly would be terrifying, I would think. Yeah. So what, what, did, what did you do then with those fears? How did God help you in the midst of that? Uh, one of the favorite verses I had since I was born again is Isaiah 41.10. Uh, do not be afraid, 
nor neither be thou dismayed. Uh, for I, the Lord God, will uh, bring you, or my righteous hand will uh, support you. Uh, and then in Hebrews 35, the verse there which says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Beautiful. Uh, some of the verses, encouraging verses. Of course, um, my wife would call me every day and would read to me the scriptures, and we pray. You didn't have phone. a Bible in, in, in your detention. I right? was not allowed, okay. but I found someone's materials that were left there, like desert, uh, Streams in the Desert by Elizabeth Elliot, yeah, yeah. and some of the RBC materials, the storms and the crisis, yeah. uh, encouraging books. So there, your, your precious wife, Naomi, would read the scriptures over the phone to you yeah. to encourage you. Wow. Uh, tell, me, tell me about uh, how, how she handled it. How did Naomi handle it when you were in detention? Um, when she first heard that I was in the police headquarters, I said, what happened? Did you run over somebody? <laughs> uh, you know why that was the question first? Because they will ex ex extract from you blood money or they kill you if you, don't, if you cannot pay. Mm. So that was a worry. I said, no, because I, use, uh, I usually, uh, as, as, you, as I usually do, I give out uh, materials. I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's not that serious as w when you are being to pay the money, blood money. Yeah. Uh, to her. And then my son, when he knew about it, Oh, he's doing the righteous uh, act. He's doing the will of God. And our son in the, back in the Philippines already uh, uh, rallied for prayers on uh, my behalf. Beautiful. Now, I, I know it's, it's really touching. You shared it in the first service. So there was a special occasion then, of course, uh, while you were there between you and your wife. And, and what, what was that? Your uh, it was then? our anniversary within the first 36 days. I was inside the prison a cell. I will be told by the police to go to another room. There is a glass there, tempered, and there is a phone that we can talk to each other. And then we talk, and then uh, we just place our hands between the glass, uh, the glass between our hands, and we were happy. But the ladies with her were crying <laughs> because they're thinking, oh, it will not be, uh, last long. Very soon it will be executed or something in their minds. Wow. So they wondered why are we happy uh, while I was there inside and she was visiting. I said, maybe that was because it was anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, quite a celebration. Sure. It's an anniversary I don't think you'd ever forget, right? Uh, yeah, very memorable uh, incident. So fast forward, eventually, God provided a way uh, through the legal system and the representation that you had, and you were deported back to the Philippines. But during that process, though, uh, between during that, that, that legal process, when you were waiting for a court date, uh, there was some other things that were going on that God was doing that you didn't even realize uh, ahead of time. And so share with us just a little bit briefly about how God was working even in the midst of what seemed like a tragedy and, and great suffering. Uh, first, I would like to uh, take note that the people of God in the United Arab Emirates, where I served in the Council of Evangelical Churches, 
uh, raise funds for the lawyer that was required. Hmm. Uh, it's about uh, 600,000 in pesos uh, to uh, the first payment. And then uh, secondly, uh, the, the prayers uh, goes uh, well went out around uh, other places like okay. U.S., Canada, some other places. And there was a lady in the email when we put the dating together. Said tomorrow, Hallelujah, you will be released. Mm -hmm. yeah. The lady from India. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. But what was interesting and made me feel so happy about my imprisonment is that it was more than worth it to be imprisoned when you know that the materials that uh, they confiscated were assigned by the court for study to a group of people they call the scholars in the rank of sheikhs or rulers. There are about 70 of them. They have to read the Bible. They have to read the, the materials. They have to view the Jesus film and so, so forth. And then <laughs> at the end, they have to report. At the end, they have to report, uh, uh, give an opinion. And, said, uh, and they said, there's nothing against Islam. These materials can be distributed as freely as uh, Mr. Fernando can do it within the confines of the Holy Trinity compound, which is the uh, Anglican Church managing the facilities for 70 groups that are meeting there during the week. But uh, not outside. Uh, emphasizing it's illegal right. for me to distribute. It's but, illegal but God for found us. a way to get it outside, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it went there. It, not even Muslims can meet these people. Wow. So much more in my case. So you had some of the highest authorities and scholars in the land mm. examining the scriptures and receiving. They were required. They, they were actually the ordered by the court. Right, right. And, and that was your plan all along, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I, had, I knew I could have planned it better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So God was at work throughout this whole situation. We, we've got to wrap up. There's one more thing I'd like for you to share, and, and you're going to close us in prayer, Pastor. Um, you know, I know you've got a sensitive heart. You've been through this. We as uh, Western Christians here in the United States, you know, we, we certainly have a level of suffering and persecution, but, but I think that we would, be, uh, we would fail to think that the suffering's happening here when really all around the world, not just them, but us, our Christian family, is suffering. They're being persecuted. And, and I'd kind of like to know, what, how can we as a church in the United States, how can we better support our brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world? From the book, The Insanity of God, with the secondary title, The Radical Disciples, Ripken uh, mentioned there an interview that um, the Christians under persecution, if asked what they want from us, the free country or countries, he said, pray for us. That's all we ask. Pray for us. And the second question is, would you exchange your situation with that of the free countries people? He said, no. Why not? Because 
we know that those in the free countries and they mentioned US I'm sorry uh, they are cold and some of them are dead spiritually they don't witness they're complacent we don't want that to happen to us so we uh, are more happy to be persecuted wow. uh, so let's pray for the brethren in other countries in fact I remember when you called me this week we were praying for the persecuted Christians I remember that uh, American pastor who was uh, originally from Iran and was arrested in Iran and was released later. Uh, people like that. Second day, uh, personally uh, searched some uh, sources of information from uh, okay. uh, Open Doors, the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Bible Couriers, and the rest. Uh, you will see some specific needs, some names or families uh, that are going through uh, persecutions, such as being arrested, house confiscated or properties, children are sold to slavery, women are raped, and their men are killed. Uh, these are uh, situations in about 60 or more countries, uh, Muslim countries, basically. But uh, North Korea is number one in the list yeah. of uh, the persecutor country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't want to forget our family, right? Yeah. We've got family, brothers and sisters all over the world that are experiencing all kinds of suffering and persecution. And our responsibility, Peter tells us, even though it may seem like a paradox, our response is to rejoice, don't be ashamed, praise Jesus, and trust and obey. I think it's time for us to open our mouths a little bit more and be a little more bold with those that we have in our sphere of influence. And also, we don't want to forget those that are suffering, being persecuted around the world. So as a sign of, of, of loyalty and as a sign of togetherness, I invite you, would you stand up as we close in prayer? And if you'd cross over the aisles and either grab hands or link arms, that uh, we want to remember that we're a spiritual family. And think about those around the world that are suffering and being persecuted. Now I'm going to ask Pastor Fernando Okonga to close us in prayer. Pastor, would Maybe you pray? the uh, brethren have some extra Bibles or extra funds that they can give to these uh, organizations who will be helping others. All right. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify your name. We are privileged people here in this free country. We have the enjoyment of being together today to worship without apprehension. Thank you without fear of being persecuted. Thank you. And yet, uh, it is not enough because we have somehow, and we ask your forgiveness, mm. neglected the other part of our privilege to share the gospel. That's right. We uh, shy away with those bad comments or rejections of people when we hand out the gospel or say the word that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And uh, also that we are not known as Christians in our workplace, even among our neighbors. Mm. But we pray that as you have planted our, in our hearts the desire to serve you, to love you, yes. that will extend to 
the outreach or reaching out of others, that they too will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's right, amen. Yes. We may have good testimonies, but the word will go out. Yes. And that it will come forth from our mouths. That as you have designed your word, will accomplish its purpose That's right. as you have planned it. Yes. Thank you that you amen. will use us. Thank you. Not only to pray, not only to uh, uh, pay the bills needed to support the persecuted families that are dislocated or relocated, and even as they are being trained new trades or tools for living that they may survive as well and continue their witness for Christ. I pray for the leadership of this church. Uh, here with Pastor Matthew, uh, Pastor Phil, and uh, other pastors, Pastor David, Pastor Manny, the rest of the elders and deacons, and the rest of the members. We may be different in our responsibilities, but we are equally important right. before you. Amen. Amen. There was only one cross yes. that we can go to and receive forgiveness where Christ died and shed his blood for us. So we thank you that you have not only called us to be your children, but co-workers together with you. Yes, thank you. And it does not matter what positions we have in church or in the community or in the country. We are your children. We're your children, yes. We have been sent by you. Thank you. As Jesus said, as I, the Father has sent me, so send I you. Yes. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this privilege that while there is time, while there is still freedom, we can express freely by praying and visiting people uh, in this country. But much more to help establish the faith of our children, that they will become strong in the faith and also out there not ashamed not surprised when they witness for Christ, yes. when the response are negative. Mm -hmm. We thank you, we praise you. you, we magnify your name through yes. your son, Jesus yes. Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Your commission to go and share the good news.